You're listening to News Radio KMAN. Now back to the game with Mitch Fortner, David G, and Troy Coverdale. As you can hear from that Dan Patrick update, he brought up the uh, situation from Monday Night Football last night where uh, DeMar Hamlin, a safety for the for the Buffalo Bills, uh, collapsed on the turf in Cincinnati, went into cardiac arrest. His heartbeat was restored uh, by EMTs, and then he was taken to the hospital. And he had mentioned, you know, he records that in the morning. I just wanted mm-hmm. to come on after that since he had brought that information that uh, really, there is no new information. The last we had heard, he's still in cardiac arrest, and he's still in the hospital in, in Cincinnati. In critical condition. Last night, they did intubate him, and that was right. in part to help try to bring his vitals back uh, to where that they feel that they would be more normal for treatment going forward. Because what I understood, he wasn't breathing on his own. That is correct, and, yeah. and, and that's the intubation aspect of it. Right. Uh, but, again, we don't know yet whether or not he could breathe on his own right now. It was more a case that they wanted to get his vitals stabilized. And from that point on, we don't know what's taking place today. It has not been updated by his family uh, as to what has gone on at the hospital. And the hospital has not said anything about what his condition is uh, beyond what we know from just the general aspect of it in that he remains in critical condition this afternoon. Week 18 games, though, will go on as planned. The NFL making that announcement uh, at midday today. The Bills and the uh, Bengals game remains a question mark. And it's going to be one for discussion, I know, but now's not the time for that discussion going forward. But it's going to definitely be something up for talking about because it will be uh, something that affects the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, my my only reaction is obviously I don't really care how this affects the playoffs. I don't think no. the Buffalo Bills no. do. I don't think the Cincinnati Bengals do. It it just it it's more fodder for sports talk radio, and I get it, and and for ESPN for con- their conversation shows. But you know, stopping the game, and you know, to me, that was absolutely the right thing to do. It was a no brainer. There's no way. You could ask these players to go out and try to compete at 100% to entertain a fan base and millions of people watching while one of those guys they believe in to help them get to the Super Bowl and somebody they have bonded with, one of their teammates, and also the respect for the Bengals as somebody they're competing against is fighting for his life and you want to go out there and try to play a game. This is the absolute right decision, and I know this took – the players and coaches to stand their ground and not play the game to get it done. But I, one of the best moves ever. The, the moment that CPR was utilized to have to save his life on the field and the players are right there kind of helping shield the fans from having to see it. But the fact that the players are right there witnessing this, there's no way that they would play. There is just no way. Well, and, Mentally, you know, no. And I know some might laugh at this comparison, 
but but hear me out here. And I brought it up to you during the break. It's when Owen Hart died in, in that fall in Kemper Arena in mm-hmm. 1999, where he he dies. I, they are doing CPR. They're doing everything they can to try to bring Owen Hart back to life when he just fell 70 feet from the Kemper Arena ceiling to the ring and falls into the ropes, and he just about dies on impact. And they're doing everything they can, EMTs, to bring him back to life. They car him to the to the to the back to send him to the hospital through an ambulance. And it was later on documented that when Owen was being carted back to the ambulance, there was somebody on top of him on the stretcher do, still doing CPR and still going to work, trying to do anything they can bring him back. They did not pronounce him dead until at the hospital. But then what what did what is WWE what does Vince McMahon and WWE decide to do after he's taken to the back? They go to a promo that's being done live by Jeff Jarrett oh. and his they weren't married, but it was like his valet Deborah. Yeah. She is bawling her eyes out. Jeff Jarrett is walking back and forth. He is freaking out. But they're they are then asked to go out back out there and perform live. Nobody wanted to do that. There's no, no way no. that they could handle that normally without it affecting their ability to go out there and entertain. No. And football's entertainment. And it never should have happened that way in the case that you're talking about. There yeah. is no way that they should have gone on that night. And credit to the players and coaches involved last night for taking a stand and saying, being basically being the smart ones in the situation, despite the pressure on them in that situation. Yeah, it's so, it was really – I remember watching it live. It, really scary. Buffalo Bills players were obviously, you know – a multiple, you know, multiple emotions we saw, but it was all telling the same story. Some guys were freaking out. Some were praying together, yeah. crying. You know, you got everything, and it told the story of you know, we're not playing football after this, no. and we we, no. we we care about our brother. And uh, I also saw that Demar Hamlin has a toy drive. Yes, for kids in the Pittsburgh area. That's where he's from. That's actually also where he went to school at Pitt. And, uh, you know, he does his toy drive every year to help those kids in need that maybe not have something to open up on Christmas. And uh, there was a, a GoFundMe that was asking for $2,500 to, you know, help kids out in need. And it is now over $5 million. Uh, let me check that. I know uh, it was four and a half million. Yeah, I knew it was three this morning when we started the morning. That's Tremendous. Proving again that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're all still human. For all of our fandom, for all of our trash talking, for all of the various things, the majority of us still have the empathy to be able to participate in something like that when we recognize and see ways that we can help. I was trying to find... The GoFundMe for that, because the article I found didn't have a direct link to it. So now I'm trying to scramble and try to find it. Um, I'm not finding it right away. I'm sorry. I, I wanted to get the exact number. That was just from a post from a couple of hours ago that was saying it was over four and a half million dollars. Okay, so I, I just wanted to get the the total amount here. Uh, it is now at four point nine nine million. So it's it's a donation away from uh, reaching five five million dollars. And the original goal was twenty five hundred. So Yep. Awesome, 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 awesome thing to do that for those that donated to his uh, his toy drive. So, uh, but I just wanted to come on and just 
you know, bring the news that there really isn't no new news out there to report on. It's just, you know, DeMar Hamlin, critical condition, still fighting for his life. And uh, I'm sure if we hear anything in the next 45 minutes, we'll make sure to pass it along to you. All right, we ready to go, Travion? All right, transition now. Mason Voth from EMA Online is with us here on the game. By the way, Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, and Travion Berkland. Uh, EMA Online, uh, Mason, has had a lot of, I, I've noticed on Deuce Vaughn here in the last 12 hours or so, um, a little more, more than that, it's more 24 hours getting close to that. But uh, your reaction, Deuce Vaughn going into the NFL draft a couple of years early, went f- a couple of years of eligibility remaining. Were you a surprise or was it being seen from a mile away? Um, I wouldn't say it was seen from a mile away, but I'm not surprised. N- number one, like running backs, when you get your chance, you better go because there aren't many running backs that are going to be able to improve their draft stock, especially somebody like Deuce. Like with his size, there are going to be limitations to where he can go in the draft. So he could come back and do all he could next year, but it wasn't going to be enough to make him like a first or second round running back. Um, but he, he can go get his clock started early and. That way you, you avoid the possibility of a hit, and we also know the way running backs get treated in the league. Like After the first four or five years, you may not have as many suitors. So I, I think it makes sense for him. And Alec and I both kind of looked at each other after that big touchdown run the Sugar Bowl, and the way that Chris Kleiman and, and Deuce Vaughn treated that moment, you almost kind of got the feel from that. Like, okay, I, I think they both know something here. Um, so I, I, I'm not surprised at it and, uh, I'm happy that Deuce made that decision and, uh, K-State, I mean, they're in good hands right now. DJ Giddens has proved that he's going to be a very good running back when he gets the, the lion's share of carry. So I'm, I'm excited to see what that brings next year. And, uh, obviously very excited to see what Deuce Bond does at the next level. Well, okay. Well, let's go ahead and jump to that uh, discussion then, uh, since you did bring it up about you know what happens after now that Deuce Vaughn is gone and you're looking into next year. Yes, of course, you have DJ Giddens, who is going to play absolutely next year. His carries are going to go up if he is a starter, if he's not. But I, I bring up the, the question is, all right, now that Deuce is gone, now do you look towards the transfer portal and maybe bring in somebody that does have experience that can tag team with DJ? Yeah, I mean, they're absolutely still looking in the portal. Um, there have been some guys that they've had their eyes on. They haven't, you know, 100%, uh, I think, been locked into, and then those guys have ended up, up elsewhere. Um, the most recent was a guy from NCANT, and he ended up at Boston College. So I, I think they're still looking there, but they do have a running back in the class of 2023, Joe Jackson, who signed. And a, a lot of the things that Jackson can do, or at least has the potential to do, kind of project to a guy that could see the field as a, as a true freshman and be able to handle that. It's also really nice that DJ Giddens is going into his third year on the roster to where he's going to have the experience where he can be a 20 to 25 carry a game type guy. So then if you have somebody like Joe Jackson or whoever else gets added to the mix, they don't have to be such a focal point. Like if you go back to Chris Kleiman's first year, James Gilbert and Jordan Brown, they needed transfers that had a ton of experience because they were empty at running back. So they needed people that could go out there immediately. This time, when they're a little bit thin at running back, they are going to fortunately have a guy that's been around for a while in Giddens. And so they can put a lot of the weight onto his shoulders. And then anybody else that they're able to add in, 
uh, they can find a way to, to get them involved in smaller chunks and not be um, as locked in on them. So I, I do feel pretty good about uh, where things stand next year. It would just be nice if they could find somebody else, another little piece, uh, in the portal that they like. Yeah, I mean, you, you you basically spoke from my perspective as well about I, I think there is a little bit of a need for a running back for next year to uh, help out DJ Gins. I love Joe Jackson, don't get me wrong, but if you got talent out there that you could go recruit, I think that's the better way to go, of course, than asking a true freshman to uh, to step up and, and, and you know take the load on, especially when you know he's probably not Deuce Vaughn, uh, to be quite honest with you. Now, I, I mentioned to Troy earlier that I had a tough time keeping it professional uh, when Deuce Vaughn ran it for 88 yards to the house against Alabama. I jumped out of my chair, and I think a lot of that is because I didn't have really anybody around me. I could probably get away with that. Is there ever been a time that when Deuce Vaughn has been on the field that you had struggled to be professional and not react to a play? Um, hmm. a good question. I, I don't know that there has ever been – a moment like that, um, it was, that was, I mean, maybe as close as it could be, but I'm a pretty pessimistic guy. I don't know if you've ever picked up on this. So whenever something good is either happening or has happened, uh, whoever I'm by, I typically hit him with something negative. So I didn't get out of my seat when, when Deuce was ripping off that run. I just turned to Alex and I was like, they're going to catch him. They're going to catch him. He doesn't have the speed to get away from him. And then, well, you know, he ended up in the end zone. So, uh, I didn't. I can't think of a moment like that. Um, but if it comes to me, I'll let you know. Well, we are both in a group chat with other members of the K State media, and you want to talk about a pessimistic group? I'm the only one with optimism, and uh, but you're not the leader of the pack. I gotta say, you keep it pretty chill uh, compared to others that will, uh, as of right now, name uh, remain nameless. Do you have a favorite Deuce Vaughn play? Um, I think it's got to be. It's got to be the run he, he ripped off against KU last year to start the second half in Lawrence. Because uh, if I'm correct, I'm pretty sure play got called back for holding. Correct. Uh, half. I think it was. I think it may was a false start because it was an 80 yard run. Something like that. There was a penalty and it brought it back. Then it didn't matter because Deuce Vaughn ripped off another big run and. Uh, Any time that you can do that uh, in, in any game is significant, but I think for him to have done it in that game, and again, it's just another one of those years where like KU fans are trying to generate some momentum and say, hey, look out, the Jayhawks are coming, and Deuce Vaughn over the last three years has been able to prove coming quite yet because we're still here and you're not going to be able to catch us. So that's probably uh, my favorite Deuce Vaughn run that I can think of at the moment. If the game had turned out better, he had some runs his freshman year against Texas that were really impressive. Um, but as we know, K-State gave up, I think, 69 points in that game. So yeah. uh, there wasn't much to, to be proud of for that one. Now, I, uh, I I burned off some of my memories of the Sugar Bowl in the uh, in the celebration, the, the New Year's Eve celebration on Bourbon Street. I would assume you didn't go out. So I, I just want to briefly touch on uh, your thoughts and takeaways, what you took away from any part or any part of the game uh, when it comes to the Sugar Bowl? Uh, well, first off, my thoughts on uh, New Orleans. I, I made it out to our party on, uh, <laughs> what, Thursday night, and I was there for, I think, 30 minutes. And as I as Alex and I started walking down there, I was like, yeah, this isn't my kind of place. It stinks. It's overcrowded. It's loud. 
It's trashy. I'm, I'm not really into this. And after about 30 minutes at the party, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to the hotel, grab food, watch the Cowboys, and uh, have a good night that way. Okay, real quick. And real quick. I want to cut you off real quick because they gave us – a load of beads to throw and that's tradition on bourbon street you throw beads down to people that want them and uh did you throw at any point did you throw any beads yeah i threw i threw some beads um there is there is some guy that walked by that was you know i like the people that wanted you to try and toss it on their head like it was ring toss okay i enjoyed that um but i threw a few i i I really wanted to just keep throwing them into like big crowds of people that didn't anticipate them. Um, I, I didn't even get really too much of a kick out of that. So I might take away from New Orleans real quick. The city is it's the most disgusting city I've ever been in. And I know I'm a prude and I sound like an 80 year old man for that, but I did not enjoy it. I never need to go back there again unless it's for a sugar bowl. Uh, but I was super dumb. I was actually surprised. I thought like, the playing area and the way that the view was in there. I, I was actually surprised because I thought it was going to be kind of a dump. I mean, the outside of it kind of is and everything else. Um, but the inside and for an actual game atmosphere is much better than I thought it would be. Well, listen, New Orleans is a bit of a dump, but it's also, in my opinion, a beautiful dump. If you were to venture out other than Bourbon Street and go check out the city, it's got some pretty beautiful places to go check out. Um Okay, so real quick, because I, I got to ask another follow-up. So when you threw the beads at the media party to – and it wasn't just like K-State or Alabama fans. It was just people in general out there having a good time. Mm-hmm. Is that the hardest you've ever partied? <laughs> I, I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life that I've partied hard, Mitch. I, uh, and that's not really my style, as you know. You were at my wedding. I was pretty lame at that. Um, well, so no yeah, no, I don't, I'm not a big partier. Well, so, look, there was, there was some financial incentive there to not have it there. You very easily could have brought your own and you would have been fine. Well, that's why I asked the question, is that the hardest you've ever partied? I think the answer is yes. Uh, throwing throwing beads on people's heads who are drinking, and uh, also they told us to, uh, when they're not paying attention, they have an open container to try to drop the beads in their cup. Uh, and talk to Kellis, Kellis Robinette, about that. He had a he had a decent shooting performance uh, there on Bourbon Street on that Thursday night. All right, well, about the game, I, let's go back to the Sugar Bowl. Yeah. Well, real quick, I think I partied harder the next night in the media hospitality room. You were not there. You were I don't know what you were doing. You were out with somebody else. But the rest of us mm-hmm. there covering K State, we were just putting away all the free beer that they put in the hospitality room, having a good time and reminiscing about many different. Uh, things in K-State history and whatever else came to mind. That was probably the, the most I'd ever party. Okay, well, to to explain myself, I never went out on Friday night. Uh, I never – no, I, I, don't, I didn't do anything. I never left the room because I, I recorded sports. No, wait, wait, I'm getting my days mixed up. No, Friday, I stayed in the room because I didn't want to go out because I was announcing for the band the next day. So I was trying to be responsible. Didn't do any drinking or anything. Um, so I had a very well, boring. I'm proud of you. Yeah, had a very boring, boring Friday night. But I did want to get a couple of thoughts on what you thought about um, the Sugar Bowl because I know you weren't too happy with the officiating. <laughs> uh, I thought the I thought the officiating early on. I was kind of surprised that there were even refs that were paid to be in that game because I think I saw more false starts from the Alabama tight end than I saw all season, and not a single one of them got called, which is why. 
I was I was a little surprised that the refs could see the the Cade Warner infraction on illegal touching <laughs> later on because they seemed to miss the obvious one. So I mean, it, officiating is not why K State lost the game, but no. Felix and Yudike Uzama got held a lot early on there, and the the false start thing really did fire me up because it seemed pretty obvious to see that Alabama had wide receivers and specifically their tight end Lasu taken off early. And I mean, that that's the easiest thing to call, but they, uh, they seem to miss that. And then obviously things got away from K state, but yeah, I thought the officiating was terrible. They were big 10 refs. Uh, so I said to, to Alec, who I work with, who's an Illinois grad, uh, do big 10 refs always suck this bad. <laughs> I didn't know it was a big 10 crew. Yep. And they were terrible. All right, well, uh, before we wrap up, give us a quick thought on uh, K-State Texas tonight in Austin that tips off at 8 Uh, o'clock. You know, I think K-State's going to show up and be competitive. There are two – Texas should be one of the best teams in the country. Two things are going against them. Number one, they're Texas, and I don't think I've ever seen a Texas team live up to its full potential, ever. And then throw into the mix that they've got their head coach – not there right now because he's on administrative leave for uh, being violent with his wife. So I would say that those things are probably working in K-State's favor where this Texas team doesn't probably have a ton of direction. And if you look around at some of the things they've done since the Chris Beard thing went down, they almost lost to a bad Rice team at home, and they started conference play with a one-point win over Oklahoma. And I know it's tough to win on the road in this league, but it's not that tough to win in the Lloyd Noble Center. And Oklahoma's probably going to end up as the worst team in the league, maybe West Virginia, now that we've seen how things have played out. Um, so I think K-State can battle with them. It's just going to come down to K-State can't get into foul trouble like they did uh, against West Virginia because Texas has better talent than what West Virginia does. And K-State, especially if David Gaston can't go, then they're going to get pretty thin into major spots really quick. So, uh, we'll see how K-State does. They're going to have to get out to a better offensive start and, and make sure that they're keeping guys away from foul trouble. But I, I think they can be competitive tonight, and I'm really not going to make any serious predictions one way or the other. Like I'm not going to say uh, K-State has no chance in a lot of games this year because I just don't think we know in the Big 12 this year. And I, they've got Baylor this weekend. I don't know which one they win, but I think K-State goes 1-1 one one on this mm-hmm. Texas first trip. I just kind of have that gut feeling. I like it. I like the take there. Texas likes to score inside, that's for sure, just like K-State does. Much better team inside the perimeter. All right, Mason, really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. All right, sounds good. We'll see you. That's Mason Vogt from Email Online, who drove to New Orleans to and from. Unfortunately, our friends Kellis Robinette and Derek Young had a lot of issues returning from New Orleans as they got stuck in some airports. And uh, if we talk to D.Y. tomorrow, we'll definitely get that story. But when we come back, we'll jump a little bit further into this Texas matchup with the K-State Hoops tonight. Mitch Palm, after the break. All right, before we get to Mitch Palm, we got a call. 537-1350 is our number. What's up, Ron? Yes, um, Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. And 
what uh, what I wanted to make a comment about, I thought it was very interesting and, and uh, uh, quite a pleasure to me that all four teams that are leaving their leagues lost in the bowl games. Texas, Oklahoma are leaving uh, the Big 12. They lost. USC and UCLA leaving ah. lost. That's a heck of a point, Ron. I appreciate the call. Yes, you bet. Take care. Shout to Ron. I didn't. Even, I didn't even notice that. A little goodbye present. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it, Big Ten and SEC. Uh, how about the thought of Kevin Warren, by the way, taking the Chicago Bears job potentially after starting the process that puts UCLA and USC in the conference oh, yeah. and and kind of leaves everything hanging at that point. Be interesting to well, see if it does pan out. There was no sweeter defeat for those four teams, in my opinion, than USC losing to Tulane and the way it went down. Tulane scoring in the final few seconds, the pass in the middle of the end zone there at the goal line, which was initially cl- called incomplete. I was actually listening. To, I was coming back from the uh, – Oh, I was coming from back from the Wichita airport, and I was listening to one of the Wichita stations, mm-hmm. an ESPN affiliate, and I was listening to the game, and I had heard that play. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, USC is actually going to lose a Tulane. This is so awesome. Yes. With Kayla Williams playing, the Heisman Trophy winner. And the fact that they rallied the way they did was tremendous. That was a great finish to a ball game. Yeah. 16 points in the final 407 tremendous how would you like to be the poor guy though for usc that fumbles the ball at the one yard line on the kickoff yeah yeah i don't feel bad for well here's the deal what what was the bigger eruption at&t stadium with the two lane fans or was it norman oklahoma who cheered the loudest i would love to know anybody (laughs) anybody keep measurements of that richter scale I kind of have a feeling it would be, or well, maybe yeah. New Orleans. The fans in New Orleans, I'm sure the diehards were all in, uh, were all at AT&T. It's not the farthest drive in the world from New Orleans to AT&T Stadium. But I'm sure the Sooner fans were very happy as, as well because it took them a long time, long time. And maybe they're not over, not over it yet, especially with this year going, what, six and seven? And um, Lincoln Riley having another national championship winner, going to the Cotton Bowl, but they lost to Tulane. All right. By the way, Chris Climo was asked a bunch. Maybe not a bunch, but it was brought up again, like losing to Tulane, and he was asked about it at the airport. Yeah. And Primarily because the New Orleans media like, were looking for an angle. Like, get over it. Tulane was a good team. Right. They, they were the they were the group I, of I five representative no, in the I, New Year's Six. I, I think they wanted the praise for their team to help add to their coverage. That's what I think they were looking for. Chris Kleiman was very polite when it came to his answer, but in other words, he's like, drop it, losers. That was weeks ago. <laughs> we won the Big 12 championship. They're in a they're in a New Year's Six taking on USC. I think they're pretty good. All right, let's get to the breakdown tonight. Cats, horns, prediction time. <laughs> Mitch Ball with tonight's prediction. I am also considering the little explanation that Mason both gave us just a few moments ago, thinking the Cats will go one and one on this road trip at Texas, at Baylor. A very tough road trip. Vegas has Texas favored by eight and a half. 
These two teams have the exact same record, 12-1 with a 1-0 record in Big 12 play. Texas won by a point at Oklahoma. Cats win in overtime at home on Saturday against the West Virginia Mountaineers. Both teams have also won six in a row, and Mason brought it up that Chris Beard right now is still technically the head coach, but he's not the head coach as uh, he's on leave of, a- of absence for uh, being charged with a domestic violence uh, felony charge. And so uh, not exactly uh, coaching right now. As a matter of fact, Rodney Perry has taken over that job, but he is 5-0. I don't know, not doing too bad of a job. Now, I do want to bring up that, uh, you know, Mitch Palm has kind of taken on this buckle up mentality because anything can happen because of the net rankings. The, the new net rankings that came out today where every team in the Big 12 is now in the top 45. And K State is at number 27. Texas, who's the sixth ranked team in the country, according to the AP, is number nine, according to the net. KU is the best team at number six. Texas is good. They are really good. Mitch Palm thinks they're a bit better defensively than offensively, but we'll talk about the offense first. Top 25 nationally in 10 categories, which includes scoring margin. They average winning 20 points a game, even though lately they've had a couple of shaky ones. I want to bring up Rice as well. That was a very shaky one. That was the first game they had played Mm -hmm. since Chris Beard was suspended. For an indefinite amount of time. They're 18th in scoring offense. They're 17th in field goal percentage. Not too bad. But they also like to score at the hoop. This is the player to watch out for. And it's not a surprise. It's Marcus Carr. The grad uh, graduate guard. This is his second year with the Longhorns. He's averaging in the last five games 23 points a game. He is on a tear right now. As he's shooting 54% from the floor. And from three point range in the last five games. 62%, 21 of 34. Also just nailing it at the free throw line. His assist to turnover ratio is exceptional and he's been named two-time Big 12 Player of the Week. And by the way, for his career, he could actually reach 2,000 points tonight. He is 26 points away, but if you're K-State and if you want to win this game, you cannot let that happen. Now, he's also this season shooting the three ball about six times a game. So he's going to shoot a lot of it. About 25% of the time does Carr shoot the basketball. He's he's their best scorer. I mean, he is by far and away their best three-point shooter where he's 45.5% this season from three. That's in the top 20 when it comes to players this season. I mean, the rest of the team, nobody's shooting more than 33%. He is by far the biggest three-point threat that the Longhorns have. Now, in double figures, they have two other players, Tyrese Hunter, who's averaging 11. Timmy Allen's averaging 10 points a game. Now, Allen is a big concern to me as well because he's their best guy when it comes to assists at four a game, which I believe that is fourth in the Big 12, and also six rebounds a game. He leads a team in that category. And then you have Carr, who's gonna, who has a team best in 26 steals this season, so he's very active. But where you know Texas... It, I think most people, if you've watched one game, you probably caught some of that Gonzaga game where Carr and they were just going off from three. They're actually a pretty good, and they're a lot better when it comes to to scoring in the paint and just scoring inside the arc. When it comes to two-point field goal percentage, they are ninth in the country at 59%. So they are going to score inside. They're going to try to score inside. Defensively, they're very good. 
They're holding points. They're holding opponents to 62.7 points per game. Shooting percentage, holding teams to 40.5%. They're pretty good at defending the three-point line, and they're also very good at forcing turnovers. They're 13th in the country at forcing turnovers a fourth of the time. So they're very active. They're going to deflect the basketball. They're going to try to get in the passing lanes, and they are quicker than K-State in closing out on three-point shooters. And K-State has to know where Marcus Carr is on the floor. You cannot lose him on ball screens or when he cuts through the lanes and he kind of is on the run ready for a catch-and-three-pointer. They're going to try to do that with him. Another factor is, Mason mentioned it, a lot of foul trouble in the game against West Virginia. They might be down David Gasson. Most likely they will be. So being down a player like David Gasson, who is very active and you know just about everywhere, he'll score for you, go grab some rebounds, and also being down a five doesn't help either. So if he's out, that's one less guy you have. And also this game's being played in the Moody Center. This is a K-State's chance to play in a new arena. Mitch Palm, not a big fan of that because the Moody Center has been very, very active when it comes to environment this year in the big games. In the big games. We'll, we'll give it a, a look as to what it will be like when it comes to Big 12 play. And it's not Kansas. And it's not Oklahoma. It's not Baylor. It's Kansas State coming in. Mm-hmm. Cats won in Austin last year. What will the environment be like for an 8 o'clock tip-off on January 3rd in Austin, Texas? That'll be very interesting to see. But Marcus Carr is the biggest key. And also, K-State just cannot get into foul trouble. Cannot afford that. Make your free throws when you get a chance. K-State's going to draw some. Marquise Noel drew, like, what, 12 fouls or something like that against West Virginia? K-State can draw some fouls. They're pretty good at that. they got to get it done at the free throw line. That'll be very crucial. Ken Palm says K-State has an 18% chance of winning. St. Texas wins 75-64. I'm giving K-State a chance. I'm giving K-State a chance because if they can keep Marcus Carr in check and keep Texas below average in scoring, they have a shot. I'm giving K-State a 35% chance. Unfortunately, Mitch Palm does have Texas coming away with this victory, 71-65. But I'm giving K-State a chance. It doesn't sound like I am, but I'm you know I have it closer. I do have it closer. And I hope the cats do prove me wrong. All right, when we come back, quick break. Number one song of the day, and ask us anything. We'll wrap up the show next. This one goes out to hashtag my boy, Deuce Vaughn. Because that kid is a shining star. Oh, boy. What's oh, boy mean? Dropping a dad joke on us. Thank you. Uh, no, I, don't, I didn't think of it as a joke. I mean it. He's a star. There's a lot of stars in the galaxy. He's one of the more brighter, shining ones. From 1975. Shining star by Earth, Wind, and Fire. One week at number one is, as I understand, there was actually a member of Earth, Wind, and Fire just passed away here recently. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yesterday. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, uh, Davis? Well, uh, let's see here. 
Oh, Fred White. Thank you. The drummer. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. 67, rest in peace. Well, they have a kind of a lot of uh, genres, I guess. So we're just going to say uh, pretty cool group of people from uh, Chicago, the Windy City. Rolling Stone called them, quote, innovative, precise, yet sensual, calculated by galvanizing. Gal- uh, calculated yet galvanizing. Declared that the band changed the sound of black pop. Hmm. They're among the best-selling bands of all time with sales over 90 million records, inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2000, and got that Kennedy Center Honors in 2019. 21 studio albums, 16 top 40 hits, and uh, might want to pull over for this one. This was their only number one. Wow. Wow. I was very surprised when I saw that. I was like, oh, that's right. We've never had an Earth, Wind & Fire song ever. And this is our, like, 448th number one song of the day. It's from the album, What the Way... That's the Way of the World. It was their sixth. Now, many think that the disco era is just full of songs that, you know, just... They're fun, but they're meaningless. Right. Earth, Wind & Fire was the opposite. They wanted their songs to mean something. Maurice White, the singer, said, quote, There are certain... Disciplines we apply to our life in respect of dieting and living and the way we live. There are certain aspects which have been which have to been kept clean by adopting a totally positive approach to our life. We can reflect this in our music. And he feels like this is a great example of that. The concept of this song came to Maurice White. While strolling at night during the band's recording of this album, he became inspired by looking up at the starry sky and took his ideas about the song to the other band members, wrote it up, banged it out, good to go. Got themselves a number one hit. Now, they recorded this in Boulder, Colorado. Just outside of, uh, at the world famous studios? Yeah, Caribou Ranch. Yeah, Caribou Ranch. It was, uh, that's where he got the, uh, so next time you visit the area, visit Boulder if you do, Unfortunately, this song. You, unfortunately, you will not get to Caribou Ranch itself, because the property has since been sold off, and the studios themselves burned down years ago. Major fire there really did a lot of damage. It was disappointing because there's so much musical history in there, including your guy, Elton John, in that yeah, oh, sure. studio. I believe he named one of his albums mm-hmm. after it. Now, this album by uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, I mentioned earlier, That's the Way of the World, it was technically a soundtrack for a movie of the same name. But the movie is trash, and it flopped. Nobody went to see it. So Maurice White, he, he always refused to call it a soundtrack. It's like, soundtrack? No, this is studio album, man. This is our music. That's what kept this successful, according to Rolling Stone in an article, and helped them get their only number one song, and it won them the Grammy for Best R&B Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals. Have you ever seen the movie? No. What I'd, was it? I'd never heard of it until now. What was it? I just said. Were you not... 
You didn't give the title. I did too. I, I said that's the way of the world. Oh. It was the same oh. name of, as the oh. album. Okay. Oh. Now Travion, have you ever seen it? Have you ever heard of it? No. Uh, no. Yeah. I don't even know if it was considered a soundtrack to that. All right, Travion, you know when to get us out. You go ahead. You're hosting the uh, Ask Us Anything if you're ready to roll. We haven't heard the questions or anything. Right. Let's go in and get to it. They've been hermetically sealed. Troy took a big old swig of Diet Coke to get ready for this. He hasn't done this in a week. Give me that caffeine hit. Here we go. (laughs) Um... I think I asked this when you were gone, so I'm going to ask it again. Uh, the Troy. Is, yeah, the Troy. Um, who is your least favorite actor? Oh, I didn't get this one. No. Yeah. Uh, we discussed that one. Uh, that At one point, I had thought it would be Ryan Reynolds, but he since has redeemed himself in what he has done over about the last decade and proven himself to be a much better. Dane Cook might be in there because he attempted it, but right. yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a big. F- <laughs> Might give me uh, in some trouble. With some people. Oh, I'm not a fan of Melissa McCarthy. I am right in that boat. You know, that's not a bad take, honestly. It's, My mom loves her. Well, I don't it, get it. I think she's become the Chris Farley, the female version, and it's a matter of being typecast. Wor- I mean, to me, it's not working. Yeah, and hey. she's made a lot of bad movies. Yeah. She's done some good stuff on SNL, but other than that, I don't really know. Did you have one? I don't really think I have. I would have to think about it longer. I don't know. But I said that my mom really hates um, Nicolas Cage. And so I always like to watch Nicolas Cage movies around her because she can't stand it. Well, I had heard that, uh, oh, Keanu Reeves. And I'm a fan of Keanu Reeves. I'm not a hater of his. Somebody in the media was telling me that Speed is a bad movie. How dare you? I love Speed. It's got one of the best quotes of all time. If you slow down, this bus will explode. It's a great quote. Great quote. Great line. Really, really set the tone for the rest of the movie. But, uh, God, there were some bad Keanu movies over time. Keanu apparently has some real estate in New Orleans and spends a lot of time down there. I was like, you know, there might be a chance to see Keanu and me. Supposed to be also like the nicest guy ever. Didn't see him. Didn't see, I didn't see any celebrities. I didn't see any players out other than, uh, I saw Josh Rivas, former K-State lineman, out on Bourbon Street, but I also never saw any players drinking or anything. They're good boys. I have a friend that goes to the um, goes to Missouri a lot, and he says there's like Brad Pitt owns property out there and hangs out there a lot. Mm-hmm. He's a graduate of Missouri. Yeah, that's crazy. What do you got next? Um, what's the farthest distance that you've driven? Okay, this might be a tie, but it would either be Phoenix or New Orleans. I think they're both roughly 14 hours. I might need to double check this, but I've I've done the drive from here to Phoenix and from here to New Orleans. I've done them both twice. Once for bowl games and once for WrestleManias. No joke for the two same reasons. Hmm. How about that? Hmm. I've been to New Orleans twice for WrestleMania. Once for a bowl game, once for a wedding. One thing about the longest ones that I have been on, they were more bowl trip related. Though there was the close to 24 hours uh, DC to Manhattan, Kansas that we pulled off the one time. All right, check that. Uh, 
Phoenix is three hours longer, so Phoenix would be the answer. Two in the morning, driving through downtown Kansas City with the radio blasting while three girls are asleep in the vehicle on a return from D.C. Crap, I forgot about it. I've, I've driven to Atlanta and back. I have to make sure that's not the winner. And I'm hightailing it at 95 through downtown KC. Never mind. Concordia uh, Concordia to Atlanta would be second place. 15 hours, 17 minutes. What do you have, uh, Travion? I've only ever driven out of state twice. And once was to Chicago and once once was to Louisville, Kentucky. So I don't know how big of a difference that is. But I've also done, um, I've done Morganville. Okay, it's not as far as I thought it would. Morganville to Detroit, Michigan. I've done that. That was just under 14, so never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, last one. What book would you recommend other people read? <laughs> you are asking the wrong guy. Because <laughs> thanks to a teacher in seventh grade, oh, I don't boy. like to read. Oh, that sucks. Uh, I'm going to recommend Rick Perlstein's trilogy of books that are related to the rise of Republican power since 1962. Uh, It starts with discussions about the uh, elections accordingly, the uh, election that year or in 64, Goldwater, then the rise through Nixon and up to Reagan. Uh, It's a trilogy worth of uh, great history that helps set the tone for where we are politically right now. Cool. You you could have just said Harry Potter. <laughs> We're back for two hours of the game. K-State Hoops coming up at 7 o'clock down in Austin to take on 6th-ranked Texas. For Travion Troy, I'm Mitch. Go Cats.